Chapter Six of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. They opened their mouth wide against me. They said, "Aha, aha! Our eye hath seen it." Masters repeated David to himself, trying to recall what Francis had told him of this acquaintance. It had been her habit to amuse her brother by very careful descriptions of persons and things connected with the world from which he was shut away. She was very good at description and at imitation. Several of the people who had called that day, David had an amused feeling that he knew, simply from her delineations. But she must have passed Mr. Masters in almost silence. David could remember his name being mentioned once, but that was all. It could not be that she had considered him too commonplace to demand attention. He was a tall, well-formed man, with the regularity of features that belonged to the term fine-looking. He was also exceedingly well-dressed, with a careful regard to small details that marked him as a man well up in the customs of polite society. This David felt, rather than knew, very few of his callers having been from the class known as society people. The eyes held his attention. He could not be quite sure what they said. They fascinated him by their brilliance, but did they at the same time slightly repel him? He was sure that they knew how to flash sharply on occasion, and it was very evident that they knew how to smile for Margaret. The two dropped naturally into talk that seemed to interest them both, and David, saying little, continued his mental studies. Masters, he said again, I wonder if he is connected with the governor's family. Can it be that Margaret is really interested in him? Surely not, or Francis would have told me. I do not think my father would like that, not if... But his mental queries were cut short by the arrival of another caller. This time it was Philip Nelson. David sprang to meet him, and the two stood silently with clasped hands for some seconds both evidently so nearly overcome by a rush of memories as to be beyond speech. Mr. Masters watched them with an interested, but was it also a slightly cynical smile? "'Your brother has discovered a friend,' he said to Margaret. "'Oh, yes,' said Margaret. "'That is a discovery that was made years ago. David has always been intimate with Philip Nelson.' "'Has he indeed?' said Mr. Masters. Do you know I am somewhat surprised? There is a striking contrast between the two men, entirely in favor of your brother. However, I suppose people shut away from society form friendships, often, merely on the basis of propinquity. I can fancy your brother becoming strongly attached to persons who were thoughtful of him during his exile. Francis Holman, who had just been to the hall with departing callers, stood near enough to hear these words, and turned grave, questioning eyes on the speaker's face, while she spoke in very distinct tones. "'One would almost imagine from your tone, Mr. Masters, that you could, if you chose, bring grave charges against the gentleman of whom you are speaking. May I ask if you know any reason why he should not be my brother's intimate friend?' Mr. Masters laughed lightly. "'Indeed not, Miss Holman. I would not for the world convey such an impression.' I was only intimating to your sister that I had formed a higher estimate of your brother's mental caliber than such a friendship suggested. 
but I have only the very slightest acquaintance with your friend, Mr. Nelson, and therefore should not presume to judge. He turned at once to another topic, his manner intimating that he considered that one too trivial to hold his attention further, but Frances's expressive face showed her disturbance. Nothing had actually been said against Philip Nelson, but the tone and manner of Margaret's aristocratic friend had certainly been offensive, and there had been a flash in his eyes that she did not like. She studied the incident anxiously. Perhaps this young man, who stood high in political as well as social circles, was Philip's enemy. These were troublous times in more than one direction, and Philip's way, for reasons that she understood better than most, was already hedged in by difficulties. She wished she had not spoken to Mr. Masters. What sudden temptation had prompted her? She was not given to calling people to account for apparently trivial expressions of opinion. Perhaps she had prejudiced Mr. Masters more fully than he had been before. He was the sort of man, she thought, to remember disagreeably a word like hers. Suddenly she became aware that the over-full little parlor was giving undivided attention to Philip Nelson, and that, with eager voice and manner, he was attempting to describe the personal appearance of the stranger physician and teacher, who was exciting such general interest. "'You seem to be quite familiar with this extraordinary person, Mr. Nelson?' This was the interrogatory sentence which suddenly interrupted the eager flow of words. It was Felix Masters who spoke, and Frances, as she marked the inflection which she could not help thinking covered a sneer, wondered how Margaret could admire that man. Philip turned toward him as one surprised at being interrupted, but answered quietly, "'I am somewhat acquainted with him, sir. At least I have met him several times.' "'You are a friend of his, perhaps?' The questioner's manner was certainly growing markedly offensive." If he had thought to embarrass Philip Nelson, he was disappointed. That young man's voice was never clearer than when he replied, I count myself honored in being able to claim him as a friend. I am very sorry to hear it. The slow, deliberate voice of the elder Mr. Holman spoke these words. Up to that point he had taken no part in the conversation, but when Philip Nelson began to speak, an observer would have seen that the host had leaned forward with ears attent to catch every word. The face of his daughter Frances flushed, and she picked nervously at a flower that someone in passing had lain in her lap. Philip turned a look not so much of surprise as of inquiry upon the speaker, and waited respectfully. Mr. Holman evidently felt that the time had come for him to speak. He cleared his throat, and still speaking very slowly, as if he were weighing each word, said, "'In my judgment, and I have given the matter careful thought, as you may well suppose, that person who has come among us so suddenly, and who is conducting himself so strangely, is a dangerous character. I think the future will prove this to be the case, and I think that the less you young men have to do with him in any way, the better it will be for you and for your friends. Amen, said Felix Masters, with great promptness and alacrity. And Philip, evidently relieved, addressed the inquiry he was about to make to the younger man. Why do you think so, sir? What do you know of him that suggests a dangerous character? 
Has he thus far done anything but good in the towns where he has visited? Mr. Masters gave a slight, contemptuous laugh before he said, Oh, I have no fault to find with what he has done, so far as it goes. There is certainly no harm in leading a few simple-minded or hypochondriac old men and women to understand that they are well enough, if they only think so. Of course, there is nothing new or strange about that. Since the world began, there have been those who, for a consideration, were prepared to make the lame walk and the nervous imagine themselves well, or sick, whichever best suited the purpose of the performer. Since the world began, have any such cases as this one come under your observation? As he spoke, Philip Nelson laid his hand on his friend David's arm. Mr. Masters laughed again, that light, peculiar, offensive laugh, as he said, I do not know that I am prepared for a cross-examination. I had not expected to be placed on trial this evening, so have not the evidence ready. Neither, by the way, am I a physician. But I have a friend who is, whose opinion might be interesting to you. He makes no marvel even of such cases as our friend Mr. Holman's. He says there are remarkable instances on record, proving the remarkable influence which mind has over matter, when the right moment comes for rousing the latter to action. I have no doubt myself, but that the present instance, which you are tempted to ascribe to the miraculous, can be explained on an entirely reasonable basis. Probably the disease which has so long prostrated Mr. Holman was stayed long ago. We must remember that he has been the subject of the most skillful medical treatment that could be found in this country, and during his long, quiet rest, nature has been reasserting her claims, and has, without noise or tumult, performed a really wonderful cure. The truth is, the old dame is constantly doing wonders for us, which we, with bad taste and doubtful honesty, are always ready to attribute to some physician. Mind you, I am entirely ready to admit that our friend Mr. Holman had no knowledge of the cure. That, too, is natural. Being long accustomed to inactivity from necessity, he grew into the belief that the necessity was upon him as a fixed law, until, in obedience to a strong-willed person in the full vigor of all his physical powers, he was moved, by the subtle law of personal magnetism, which I also admit that we by no means fully understand, to do for himself that which simply proved his cure, and immediately the credulous world is agog with cries of, A miracle! While the fact is that nothing is simpler to students of science than such natural results from the use of natural laws. Frances Holman's face, from being deeply flushed, had grown very pale. Her eyes glanced nervously from Philip Nelson to her father, then back again to Philip. She felt herself on the verge of a moral earthquake. Undoubtedly, Philip would make some reply to this harangue which would help to bring it about. The strain upon her nerves was unexpectedly interrupted by a laugh. Not a mocking one, simply a joyous outburst from David Holman. Without the addition of a word, it seemed almost able to overturn the remarkable bit of logic to which they had just been treated. But David's voice followed the laugh. My good friend, there is only one way in life, so far as I know, to convince you of the utter fallacy of your argument. That would be to set you down in the place that I occupied only yesterday morning, 
and let you suffer what I did in being moved and carried by ever so gentle hands through the streets. The experience would have convinced you in less than three minutes that something beyond nature was needed to subdue the demon of pain that for every step of the way, and for five terrible hours afterwards, had me in possession. God forbid, however, that you should ever have to learn through the medium of such a teacher. His voice grew solemn as he proceeded, and a shiver ran through his frame, as though the memory of the suffering was a furnace to him. But Mr. Masters was apparently unmoved. A psychological discussion carried on extempore, he said lightly, as he rose to depart. The ladies must excuse us for forcing such abstruse and possibly unpleasant themes upon them and I, at least, must cut the important discussion short by retiring. It is later than I had supposed. But masters, interrupted a young man who, although he had been a very attentive listener, had up to that moment been silent, before you go I wish you would explain one remark of yours. What do you mean by calling that man a dangerous person? It surely cannot be dangerous, as you hinted yourself, to set people on their feet again, even though we grant that their illness may have been only imaginary. He does them good service by so much at least, and nobody has explained wherein the harm lies. The harm, my friend, lies, as I imagine that thoughtful people older than yourself have discovered, with a slight graceful bow toward the elder Mr. Holman, in getting hold of the masses by devices of this character, leading them to think that some mysterious power works through him, then, when the moment is ripe for action, leading them whither he will, in ways that they have not imagined. In short, since you almost force frankness from me, I will say that I believe the man to be a political intriguer, in league with the enemies of our country. I am not speaking carelessly on such a subject, as you may well suppose. I have access to knowledge of importance that makes me somewhat confident of what I affirm." and I consider our friend Mr. Holman's warning most timely, and of a very great importance. With another bow to Mr. Holman, and with the air of a sage who had fulfilled his duty toward the rising generation, this wise young man of twenty-five took his leave. The other callers followed his example, stopping for only a few words of general and desultory conversation. Mr. Nelson was the last to say good-night and David arose as he did, remarking that the evening was so lovely that he envied his friend his walk to town. Then he summoned Francis to a walk on the piazza, and the three passed out together. As soon as they were beyond other ears, Philip Nelson turned toward his friend. "'Thank you for your brave words tonight, David. I supposed that I was to take the defensive quite alone.' "'But for my father's sake,' said David quickly, I should have spoken much more plainly than I did. It seems due to my father that my first explanation or expression of opinion should be given to him. Francis looked from one grave face to the other, with an interest not unmingled with anxiety. "'I do not think I understand,' she said. "'Why should your words be spoken of as brave? Why should not one be outspoken in one's gratitude at least? And what more is there that can be said?' Mr. Nelson waited for the brother to speak, but as David continued silent, he turned to Francis. "'You heard what Felix Masters said tonight? He considers David's benefactor a dangerous person, 
a man who is trying to raise a following that shall stir up treason. Such words, coming from such a source, are full of meaning. There are those who, for reasons best understood by themselves, will hail all such expressions, and do what they can to foster and develop them in due time. I may be mistaken, I hope I am, but I feel in my soul that the time is coming, is not far distant, when to speak even such words in our teacher's favor, as we did to-night, will require courage of no mild type. Our teacher? Are you then one of his pupils, Philip? The young man held out his hand to her, with a grave smile, as he said, I am indeed, my friend. It will not be possible long to keep the matter secret, and certainly I have no desire to do so. I am glad to own it. I would have told you before this, had there been opportunity, but there were reasons why it seemed wise not to speak plainly everywhere. Still, I do not think it comes to you as a surprise, does it? No, said Frances, low-voiced and trembling. She could not trust herself to add another word. Good night, said Philip abruptly, giving the hand that he held an earnest pressure. I must not say more now, though I want to. I hope, by the time I see you again, that matters will have so shaped themselves as to justify me in speaking what my heart prompts. Until then, trust me. End of chapter 6